from the Mercy One Studio. Making it personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Good morning. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. This is he himself, uh, Kelly Mesher Collins, uh, not able to be with us as she continues to be present with her own family and her dad's uh, weakness and and things. So we're lifting them up in prayers and so many others affected either by the COVID-19 disease, the contagion that continues to spread. We hope many are recovering that have it, but we know the hardships that is placed on families in so many ways. So we're particularly grateful to those who have been supporting the Diocese of Des Moines COVID-19 relief fund. Uh, we've already received upwards of $110,000, $120,000. And so we've been able to support over 200 households with, with gift cards that allow them to meet some of those most urgent needs for food, uh, utility bills and things. And then the other portion that many of you designated to help parishes, uh, you know, some of the parishes are in more uh, significant straits in terms of the support that they're able to receive. But uh, I just want to, as a bishop, commend all of you, uh, the uh, the level of support both for the local parishes and for the diocesan appeal has been quite remarkable, you know, that uh, that we would be experiencing only a kind of 20% downturn that really speaks to the way in which people have made the church and its mission an ongoing priority as we continue to, to try and serve you in the kingdom as well. Uh, I think you'll be aware that... Uh, uh, you know, as we look to get back to mass, some decisions being made. It won't be a one-size-fits-all remedy. Uh, we will be looking at opening up certain counties ahead of others, and we'll go with daily mass first. I think that's a way in which we can. Uh, get our legs under us in terms of the practices that we have uh, with hygiene and other things, the social distancing. And I hope we're all making our peace with wearing uh, face masks, uh, including the clergy at different times for communion and other things. So those guidelines have been well-established and uh, will be implemented You know, as uh, various counties open up with the decline in the rate. So thanks to all who've been supporting that and our great prayers. So with me today, I'm very privileged to have Mary Eberstadt, who's a senior fellow at the Faith and Reason Institute, author of many books, kind of a public intellectual, and uh, her new latest book, Primal Screams, How the Sexual Revolution Created Identity Politics, which is going to be our focus today. Uh, but So just maybe before we kind of uh, get into the book and some of the, the claims that you've been making, uh, Mary, welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you, Bishop Johnson. It is a thrill to be here. And I want to tell your listeners that as someone who knew you before you were a bishop, they are incredibly fortunate uh, to be in your flock now, and congratulations publicly on your elevation. Well, you're most kind, you're most kind, and yes, we did know each other, and uh, you know, you're, you and your husband, Nick, uh, are a delightful company at table, and we can talk about our association, which we did come to know each other through the Tertio Millennio Seminar in Krakow, Poland. Uh, and as this show airs on the uh, 22nd of May, a few days after the 100th birth of, birthday of uh, John Paul II, the great saint, the great pope, on the 18th, so 100 years. But that uh, Tertio Millennial Seminar, why is that something that you and your husband Nick, with all the various appearances and invitations you get, that you've committed the time, even though this year's seminar probably isn't going to materialize in the same way after some 20 nine years. Uh, so why why the, the seminar? Why Krakow? And uh, tell any influence of John Paul in your life. Well, I think like everyone who's a regular part of that three-week seminar dedicated to Catholic social teaching, I look forward to that event more than any other in my life. And I know my husband Nick does too. 
because it's so spiritually fulfilling and because, as you know, the students in the seminar are so dedicated to their studies, there's daily mass. It's really wonderful to unplug from our lives uh, in the United States and to see just how deep Catholicism's roots are across Europe, and that's true not only in Poland. So all of it puts a perspective on how to be a Catholic, a public Catholic, a public intellectual. And the example of St. John Paul is, the Great is, of course, essential in all of this, because no one showed more how to engage the modern world as a Catholic than he did. So for all of these reasons, the seminar in, in Poland every summer is terrifically inspiring and nourishing. Amen, amen. So we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll continue our conversation with Mary Eberstadt and her book, Primal Screams, How the Sexual Revolution Created Identity Politics. Hello, the Catholic Diocese of Des Moines, including myself, Bishop William Johnson, would like to offer the heartiest of congratulations to the graduating class of 2020. God accompanies us at every step of our lives. This year has been quite an adventure, hasn't it? But through your families, your teachers and staffs, and of the faith communities who've lifted you up in prayer. God continues to draw you to that cherished place He wants you to be. May God's blessing and spirit be at your back as you go forward in the next step of life. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at bigredq des Moines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print, we make printing easy. Welcome back to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Uh, again, we're prayers for Kelly Mesher Collins, my co-host. A little bit less laughter today, but uh, some real meat again for us as we reflect with Mary Everstadt, Senior Fellow at the Faith and Reason Institute, on her latest book. Uh, that Faith and Reason Institute, what, what's that all about? What's its mission, and uh, you know, how does that cast of characters complement each other and what they're about, Mary? Well, the Faith and Reason Institute is a wonderful band of Catholics who are bringing the message of the Church into the public square, located in Washington, D.C., and headed by Robert Royal, who's a wonderful scholar and a wonderful writer. In fact, I'd like to recommend to your listeners a book that he wrote called A Deeper Vision, The Catholic Intellectual Tradition in the 20th Century, Mm -hmm. which I think is really fundamental for people interested in Catholic scholarship. And I would also like to recommend to your listeners that they check out the CatholicThing.org, which is a, a daily column by a rotating band of writers. Uh, it's not heavy lifting. It's not long. It's, these are all <laughs> under a thousand words. But <laughs> uh, Is this possible? Under a thousand words? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we all know that everyone's time is tight, especially now that we're all living online uh, because of the pandemic. But I would recommend this as a source of inspiration to people to get a daily reflection from faithful Catholic writers about all kinds of things pertaining to the faith. 
Okay. So that's catholicthing.org. Catholicthing.org, right? The Catholicthing.org. Marvelous, marvelous. Good. So, uh, you know, if I think of influential books in my life, Charles Taylor's famous work, Sources of the Self, kind of talked about this whole modern project of creating the self. But your book, Primal Scream, How the Sexual Revolution Created Identity Politics, you kind of saying that maybe that's something that's been lost. And so, you know, what's this all about? And, you know, why, you know, sometimes for some of us, we get a little shudders when people say something is revisionist, but uh, you would even say your book is, is revisionist in some way. Yes, this book is a radical new look at some of the surface phenomena of our time. And one of those surface phenomena is identity politics. And I was struck in the effort to understand what this is all about by the fact that so many people don't seem to have a strong sense of identity. And this is especially true of younger people. So I wanted to dig into that a little bit and to ask why that is. And the short version of my conclusion is that we form our identities relationally. Who am I? Um, I'm a child of God. Who am I? I'm a mother. I'm a sister, etc. In other words, we form our identities by our primal attachments to family and to faith. Well, we live in an age when a lot of people don't have strong primal attachments. Because of secularization, a lot of people are illiterate about religious faith. And because of a lot of uh, demographic phenomena, broken homes, divorce, out-of-wedlock births, etc., a lot of people do not have strong attachments to their families. And I think, Bishop, this is where the crisis over identity is coming from. We are relational creatures. We define ourselves by relation to others. And for a lot of people, there aren't very many others in their lives answer that question, who am I? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You even in, invoke the phrase, the kind of the great scattering, and touch on the, the gones, G-O-N-E-S, uh, the gone daddy, child, parent, siblings, family, and God, which can be pretty depressing stuff. Do you think for many younger people, this consciousness is marked more by a sense of absence than presence? Yes, I do, and in the book I give examples Uh, that I think demonstrate the point. I listen to a lot of popular music, for example, where these same themes of divorce, dysfunctional families, etc., pop up um, in very unexpected places. They're all over modern rap and rock and roll, for instance. So I think there's a lot of evidence that people are hurting, again, especially younger people, And my point in bringing this up isn't to just depress the heck out of everybody. My Mm. point is that we are living in a very unnatural way. And I think this begins with the sexual revolution, which is now some 60 years in the making. And the result has been a lot of fracturing of what are primal relationships with family and extended family. And this has exacted a toll that I think we're only beginning to understand. And the reason I wrote the book is that I want to bring the cost of this great experiment to attention and hopefully to a 
ameliorate them and understand just some of the suffering out there. I think it's very diagnostic. I think you've really landed on something and maybe something that, uh, you know, the, the kind of dogmas of this, uh, this age and not uh, from a religious sense, but culturally uh, that uh, not allowing or admitting that. So the kind of new, new kind of rigorism that might be present in, in this way. Um, if we think about the Catholic intellectual tradition, you know, even Aristotle, Pope uh, and Emeritus Benedict XVI, talked about this kind of inherent social dimension that we are social beings over against Hobbes and, and others in, in that way. But so the whole term mine, uh, you know, for, for them would have said mine in relationship to someone. I'm marking out, not just kind of marking out the territory, but already there's a kind of inherent disposition to the other, but this is no longer the case. And you, you introduced a new term to me among many, many terms, but this incels and, uh, you know, the, the, that, that's kind of, uh, indicative of something else than, than the classic sense of the term mine. Yes. Well, the incel phenomenon is one of those things that of course, made worse by the Internet, probably wouldn't exist without the Internet, but it refers to these angry young men who are involuntary celibates. And that strikes me as such a sad and curious phrase. Uh, It's indicative of the radical atomization uh, of our time, that this is actually a thing, that instead of uh, say, getting married, having a family, uh, joining the priesthood, becoming a man who takes care of other men, there are all of these social isolates out there, uh, and enough of them that they could actually form an online movement of this sort. So, as with a lot of other phenomena that I talk about in the book, we see that the ways in which we are living, the ways in which many of us live, uh, have just have come to bear unnatural fruit, and my hope is that by holding a mirror up to all of that, I can get at least some readers to give that shock of recognition and say, you know, this is true. There is something really strange and off about the way people are living today. Mm-hmm. And I think about, you know, in light of the kind of population winter that is certainly present present on other continents, and we think of China, the great disparity between the birth rate of males and, and females, in part by the government policies of the past, but, you know, you know, all these men, you know, looking for someone to love, and there's there's not the, the possibilities out there in that way. I mean, I think China would be an acute instance of, of possibly this, and, you know, again, using technology, but the the kind of anger that that spills out there. So do you think that kind of pathology present in some of these kind of acts of violence or, you know, now with COVID-19, we're seeing a lot of manifestations of of anger, uh, you know, for various people trying to to live life in that way. So I don't know if there's a question in there, but it's just an observation to to evoke anything for you. You Well, you know, I think there's, a silver lining in COVID-19. I've been thinking a lot about it, as we all have. I wrote Primal Screams, of course, before the pandemic unfolded. And it seems to me, Bishop, that maybe, just maybe, having to live at home and having to unplug from the rest of society 
will remind people about the importance of those who are nearest and dearest. And I also think that there's a spiritual dimension to this. The entire world right now is afraid of something that nobody can see, right? Mm -hmm. It's a germ. It's invisible. And couldn't we read that as a giant wake-up call to all of us that our senses are not the most reliable guide to reality, that reality can be something that we can't see or sense and could just be the most important thing in the world. That's the sort of thing that I meditate on when I think that there are reasons for hope in this crisis. I was with a group of uh, evangelical pastors and others in an ecumenical uh, teleconference this week, too, and I think that's that's a real... Uh, and an instinct that, that that is felt, and 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 a hope and prayer as well that uh, we've kind of been roused uh, from our senses, if you will, then to our senses, and the, and the kind of spiritual dimension that we have, and that relationships and, and love are present before us bears something uh, more than meets the eye, and uh, is God calling us back to Himself, but calling us back to each other at the same time, and. Uh, I, I think that's this is something that's going to be unfolding. You know, I think it's too early to to make any kind of draw any conclusions on this uh, in this particular way. Um, but that that would be a hope. Uh, you talk, uh, you know, again maybe going back to kind of some of the more critical observations that uh, psychologists, uh, for instance, Jean Twenge and Keith Campbell, their data about. College students, and obviously college life has been upended, as is everything else. And, you know, we're going to see how this plays out in the fall uh, is, you know, the people, college, you know, prospective students and the recruitment phase for for schools right now, private and and public, you know, whether that uh, sought after college experience is is going to be something that people have in the same way. But uh, Kind of the the trends among college students prior to the pandemic rising and with women and everything else and social media, a kind of hyper drama over identity that didn't always uh, end well or didn't always have uh, bear fruit for people. So the hyper drama over identity and the kind of narcissism that uh, has emerged. Uh, what were you getting at in the book on that front? Well, first let me say that I feel for anyone who is a high school senior right now or has a high school senior right now because it's a terrifically puzzling and anxious time. But even as everyone scrambles to get back to, quote, normal, we have to understand that life before the pandemic was not okay in many ways, and that includes for college students. In the book, I summarize quite a bit of uh, research by psychiatrists and other experts about the clear rise in mental disorders among the young, among adolescents and college-age students, rises in anxiety, in depression, and in, you know, other kinds of problems. Um, Where is this coming from? Again, I trace the roots of this to the fact that People are coming out of unstable childhoods, um, unstable homes. And some of this is just a numbers game. There are simply not as many people in the lives of the young as there used to be. Uh, When we lived in an age of robust extended families, 
uh, people had brothers, sisters, cousins, grandparents, aunts, uncles. Well, divorce, of course, has disrupted all of that. Uh, the pattern of not marrying at all has disrupted all of that. But at the same time, there are fewer people, even in families that are intact. And I think that this has a very uh, destabilizing effect on the young. And in the book, I try to connect the dots on all of that because the research is very plain. There's a rise in all of these kinds of psychiatric troubles, and I'm trying to advance a theory of where it, where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how many siblings you have, but uh, yeah, certainly there was a, a reality check every day in dealing with the, my four siblings and uh, the, the close household in which we grew up. And uh, you knew you weren't the center of the world and that they could uh, remind you at any <laughs> moment of that. And, and in fact, they still perform that very valuable function for me <laughs> as much as possible these days. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, the mitre may extend my profile and liturgically, but uh, you know I'm brought low very quickly by my by my siblings. So they, <laughs> they, they and, and they, the way they remind me of that as well. So uh, yeah, and you know, as a in my former life as a college teacher and college chaplain and things, yeah, we saw. I just the, the, the rise of anxiety. I mean, and I think part of those are external pressures and expectations placed on young people but how they kind of, you know, adopted those things and yet the coping mechanisms uh, from that fragile sense of self and how that was there. And, and for many of them as, as only children, uh, and again, not trying to place guilt trips. Sometimes there's life circumstances in family that that's all that was possible, but, but uh, not having to, to engage in others. So we'll come back in a moment, but this is Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on the Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Impoverished children break everyone's heart, but poverty seems like such a big problem. What can one person do to make a difference? For 17 years, Blessman International's passion has been to connect the resources of our donors with sustainable programs that impact the lives of impoverished children in South Africa. Our donors are feeding thousands of hungry children every week, providing basic water and sanitation for impoverished communities and sharing the love of God in practical ways every day. Go to www.blessmaninternational.org and make your donation today. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Welcome back to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson, again joined by Mary Eberstadt, the Senior Fellow at the Faith and Reason Institute, and a uh, uh, long-time acquaintance and uh, kind of a woman of faith that uh, she brings to bear on all her perspectives and, and her vocation as wife and mother as well. Uh, you, you also take up the, the question of postmodern feminism and the, the trends that are there, and the whole uh, matter of androgyny, uh, noting a couple times that on Facebook there are 71 gender categories that people might self-identify, and then also talking about the Me Too movement. Part of the point of the book is that the sexual revolution was a game-changer in many ways, and one thing that it did was to raise the 
likelihood uh, to raise the incentives for men to lean in toward the feminine and for women to lean in toward the masculine. And that is where I think this androgyny is coming from. Uh, the existence of 71 genders on Facebook is itself a testament to the fractured sense of self that many people, again, especially young people, are carrying around uh, as a wound. So in a lot of ways, I think Primal Screams is an effort to get underneath the surface of what we see around us and to try and explain uh, with a unified theory where all of these radical changes are coming from. Mm-hmm. And again, faith and the lack of it is a big part of this picture. We have to understand that the consolation of faith uh, the, or the consolation that comes from practicing faith is off-limits to a lot of young people who have been raised with no faith tradition whatsoever. And the word I keep coming back to, not to stigmatize people, uh, is illiteracy. We, For all of our material advancement, we live in a time of familial illiteracy uh, that's rising and religious illiteracy that is also rising. And so part of our task, I think, in the public square is to start from the most basic place to try and re-educate people and bring the faith, because I do think that the absence of religious faith is part of what is ailing uh, the young. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, absent faith, uh, you know, and I think, you know, all of our institutions, including organized religion, you know, can breed a a deeper trust, but also a fundamental mistrust as we look at some of the the misdeeds and and, and actions I've had as a young bishop already to, to deal with my first instance of a legitimate claim uh, with the semblance of truth of, of uh, sexual abuse of a young person by uh, one of our priests in the diocese. And we just know that that just has a seismic effect and undermines so much of what the church is trying to do in terms of healing and, and all that's there. But uh, I, you know, that uh, to believe that one is a beloved child of God, you know, that 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 unconditional love, which goes beyond it, however well our parents or others in our lives, our grandparents love us, we are also conscious of what is not. And, uh, you know, that there, but, but that even that sense of notness isn't a, a sense of a, a catalyst for mistrust, but of trust that there's one beyond that, that our, our own recognition of, of one who embraces us, who, who breathed us into being, but who loves us at every moment of our lives, that that's, that's a, the missing piece. And, you know, we can't, we can proclaim that, but something has to happen where the Holy Spirit makes that, that real for people that they can. And so as a child of God, then to lay down one's life as our, our Holy Father, John Paul II, you know, to make a gift of oneself, to really be willing to do so and to make a commitment where you don't have enough evidence that's uh, persuasive in this way. It's, uh, you know, that, okay, this is a calculated uh, wager that I'm making and I'm going to give my life over in this particular calling and whether as a spouse or priest or religious in, in any way. So sorry, I kind of dilated there a little bit. i come back now, Mary, but, you know, we think about, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, enlisting of reproductive technologies, more of them are opting for a girl. I didn't know that uh, than for a boy, a kind of countercultural, but, you know, you know, mention of the incels, do you think uh, you know, the hope for men, especially for those from a lower socioeconomic stratum, that there's there's hope to live a happy life in these days? We're conscious even of our, our workers who are affected, many of them in employment and things. Uh, any notes of hope or, you know, do you see the, the, the things uh, uh, 
being dismantled even more as we go forward? Well, again, I think the pandemic is uh, changing what we thought were the rules. And one of the things that's good about it is that it does bring attention to people who I think had been widely overlooked um, by uh, what are called the more elite parts of society. That is working class people, uh, you know, people who work with their bodies, who do manual labor, um, people who are, you know, in the bottom socioeconomic uh, segment. And I think there is increased awareness of, of their situation and their plight and their needs on account of the pandemic. And I think raising that profile has been a very good thing and a hopeful thing. So it's one of those things that if and when we get out of this situation that we're in with the pandemic, we want to hold on to and not let that go. God willing, God's providence and wisdom in all of this uh, drawing before us uh, how we are uh, one body, a body politic, but a body in Christ, and that uh, those who maybe are not uh, as distinguished in our society that are present that way. Mary, it's been fascinating. We could go on and on, but thank you so much for your time today. Uh, we pray uh, God's safety upon all those whom you hold in your heart and uh, continue to pray for us out in Iowa. And maybe when all clears, we can bring you out for uh, an appearance or something and share some of your wisdom. So thank you and uh, God bless. You've been watching you, Make Bishop, It Personal, or listening to Making It Personal, not watching, thankfully, with Bishop Johnson on the Iowa Catholic Radio and the Catholic Spirit, Spirit Catholic Radio Network. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com.